Make the choice to begin anywhere in your life, and the journey has started. We exist more than just to educate. We exist to also revitalize. And along the way, you can inspire others and be inspired. But now there's a new generation of scholars, and I am among them. If you really want to know who you are and what you are capable of, Howard is the choice for you. Take a moment. Listen to the stories by joining the president of Howard University, Dr. Wayne A.I. Frederick, and his guest on The Journey. Almost three years since COVID-19 compelled Howard University to transition to online learning, we have entered a new phase of the pandemic. We have returned to in-person instruction, we are able to gather safely in large crowds, and masking is optional on our campus. In this new era, where the threat of COVID-19 has diminished, how should we balance practicing caution with returning to the way of life before the pandemic? What lessons from the pandemic should we make sure to carry forward? Hello, my name is Dr. Wayne Frederick, and my guest today on The Journey is Dr. Roger Mitchell, Chair of Pathology at Howard University College of Medicine. Welcome. Oh, it's great to be here. Good. So first, let me start with your history here at Howard. Yeah. Uh, you have a deep history at Alma Mater. Yeah. So why don't you yeah. tell us about your family's history with the university? Well, listen, I'm proud um, to be part of a, a Howard legacy. Uh, my grandfather graduated Howard Medical School in 1932. Uh, my grandmother from the nursing school in 36, right? Freedman's Hospital, where we're, we're sitting in right now, uh, is, where they, is where they met. Um, and so that legacy of my grandfather being a black bag physician and in Atlantic City and delivering babies in kitchens and um, taking pies and cakes for payment, uh, my grandmother didn't like that. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's the legacy that I learned about growing up uh, with my grandfather. And then my uncle went here for undergraduate and he became a physician. Um, and then as one of his first grandsons to become a physician, I came to Howard as an undergrad. I uh, was here in the 90s, uh, 92 to 96 as an undergrad, and, um, and then went on to med school and, and, and so forth and so on, but was able to come back here um, almost, uh, almost two years now uh, to serve uh, alma mater. And you have a son uh, who's trying to continue the legacy. Absolutely, I have a son who's a sophomore here uh, at the Chadwick Bozeman College of Fine Arts, and he's musical theater. And hope to have my two additional young people come. And I'll be remiss if I didn't shout out my wife. Uh, I met her in 1992, so 30 years ago. We've been married for 20. Um, and uh, all, a great group of friends that, 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 that have been here, uh, too. Excellent. So you grew up in New Jersey, um, went to medical school there as well and uh, did your residency back here in the city of George Washington. Yep. Uh, what about pathology interested you uh, when you were in medical school? You know, it's interesting because my interest in pathology didn't start until after I, right after I left college. Mm -hmm. It was forensics that brought me in, right? So I was, um, and this is a good message for, for our students, I was doing DNA research at the Sickle Cell Center when I was a, a junior at Howard. And we were taking DNA and looking at DNA and um, putting plasmid DNA in bacteria, looking for an HIV cure uh, back in uh, 1995. And the O.J. Simpson trial was happening at the same time. And they were talking about forensics and uh, the application of DNA science and forensics. While well, I was doing DNA science 
in the sickle cell center. So I made a decision not to go straight to med school, but to pursue a career as a forensic scientist. So I got into the FBI um, as a forensic scientist and was one of the first black men in FBI laboratories. And um, there I got exposed to forensic pathology. And then I knew uh, what type of doctor I wanted to be. So I left uh, the FBI and went to med school for the purposes of being a forensic pathologist. Let's talk a little bit about that time at the FBI, um, because especially uh, today, one of the things that you certainly are known for is, tra is uh, trauma prevention. Yeah. Um, but t tell me a little bit about your experience at the FBI on that forensic side, because sometimes when we talk about law enforcement agencies, especially in our community, uh, obviously there's some significant concern and people don't always uh, see uh, African Americans as being welcomed. And I think some, to some extent there's a stigmatization about us yep. participating uh, in those agencies. What, what, what was your experience like? I mean, it was, it was eye-opening um, because that's really where I used to do um, forensic examinations on items of evidence from violent crime. So uh, sexual assault kits, um, um, looking for blood, you know, I was a serologist, so I was looking for blood or semen on items of evidence from violent crime. And there I got to read all these scenarios of violence that was primarily happening in poor white communities and black and brown communities. And we were identifying um, these, uh, uh, you know, blood or, or, or semen to go on for DNA analysis. I became a serology team leader there, but one of the most significant experiences is that I joined the um, employee assistance program. And there I served as a resource for officers who had discharged their weapon in the line of duty. During that training, I got trained as a po in post-traumatic stress disorder. PTSD at that time wasn't being applied across the board to anyone that was exposed to violence. It was only just being applied to law enforcement and EMS. Before that was called shell shock. Individuals in, um, in war uh, having these issues with um, being able to not control their anger and being, being traumatized. Now we fast forward now, we know that PTSD and trauma and trauma-informed care and trauma in mental health is a big part of how we need to treat our community that's exposed to violence. So while I was at the FBI, the FBI's exposure made me want to leave the FBI and learn about violence as a public health issue. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I left. It, if it wasn't for the exposure that I had at the Bureau, um, I wouldn't be uh, where I am today. You're listening to The Journey. My guest today is Dr. Roger Mitchell, Chair of Pathology at Howard University College of Medicine. So let's talk a little bit about uh, COVID. Sure. And um, I also want to talk about kind of the future of pathology. Mm. So with COVID first, um, the president has declared that the pandemic is over. Mm. Um, and, and he did so fairly forcefully. Um, I, w I have to admit I'm probably in the camp of, um, it's in a different phase, a phase where we could be probably a little more comfortable with sure. resuming some activities. But w what's your thought about the pandemic being over? Yeah, I mean, I think that we're entering a phase where, um, where, where COVID is endemic, right? We're going to have to live alongside COVID in a way that, um, that we, we have to respect it um, and respect how we, how we get it as a contagion. Mm -hmm. um, but it is from the standpoint, I think, where he's coming from, and I won't put words in his mouth, but from where I'm coming from, it's absolutely not as fatal 
Mm -hmm. uh, we don't have as many serious and fatal outcomes for unsuspected individuals. Um, and I think that's kind of where we, where we are. Right now, we, we're, we have about 200 individuals that are coming to test um, still, anywhere from 100 to 200 individuals that are coming to test every day. Um, and that is down from, you know, several thousand mm -hmm. that we were testing yeah. every day when we were making it mandatory, even though that wasn't all the students and faculty yeah. coming. Mm -hmm. um, but as of last week, we only had 4% positivity. And that's important to note because in a, in a optional testing environment where you test where you feel symptomatic or you test where you might be going somewhere and you, you know you have access to a free test, that's a biased sample. Absolutely. That's a sample that says, I'm coughing, yeah. let me go get a test, or I'm going, a, uh, let me go get a yeah. test. Or I've been exposed I've to I've been someone. exposed, ex right. exactly, and let so me get a test. higher risk population. Higher risk population, and it's still only 4%. Yeah. And that was this week, last week, and the week before we were at about 8%, right? right? So we're seeing that trend. And, and I say that not that we can rely on that as a true trend because of the biased population that's coming in to get tested, but I can say that it is, a, um, it is an example of where we were, where we are now compared to where we were when we were at you know, 12, 15% and we had thousands of people that were, were testing and they were unsuspected. And, and I think the other issue here too is we have a fully vaccinated that's right. uh, population for the most part. And I think that that's, um, you know, that's important. So let's talk a bit about medical education. Sure. Um, obviously you're playing an increasing role in organizations like the NMA, our College of Medicine here in the Dean's office, et cetera. Uh, black male mm -hmm. enrollment uh, in medical school was down. Uh, significantly. Last year it's up 21%. Um, great numbers. Now I have a theory that the pandemic um, with Zoom interviews and black males not having to travel, not having to be in stressful settings to be interviewed may have increased the number who went to med school. Now we got to see them persist and graduate and that will really be a success and we got to see that trend stay up. What are your thoughts about that trend of that increase um, of 21% last year. No, I, I, I like it um, and because I think that a lot of people are thinking about healthcare differently. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of young people are looking at healthcare um, differently uh, because of the pandemic mm -hmm. and seeing how far reaching they can have and who they can help um, uh, because of the pandemic. So, so I think that not, I, I agree that the financial um, in incentives that come along with these Zoom interviews and such puts individuals in a place uh, where they may say, okay, I can do it because I don't have this financial obligation. Mm -hmm. But I think deep down in inside, these black men, these young men are seeing, listen, I can have an impact in my community because I see what COVID has done. Um, but black men in medicine requires um, a lot more than I think we're doing. I was on the, uh, the National Academy's workshop with um, Dr. Lorenzo. Um, I did a workshop myself while I, while I was there at the National Academies. And what I talked about was the mirror of relevancy. We have an obligation because we still carry culture, we still listen to the same music, we still you know, engage that. We have a, a, a need to show these young people a mirror and say, you don't have to be some version of yourself that is not um, acceptable. You can be that hip hop version of yourself um, and still be intelligent, 
right? And so it's important for us to create pipelines. I'll, I'll, I'll end here. We have an organization that I'm on the board of called Young Doctors DC. And they have a presence here at Howard. They're here all every summer. Uh, Malcolm Woodland is the executive director. He's a Howard grad. And we pour into high school students and give them exposures to what it means to be a physician. We have a 100% high school graduation rate in that program. Mm -hmm. And all of them may not become doctors, mm -hmm. uh, but they, they will be successful. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and last question before we close, uh, pathology. Yeah. Where is the field of pathology heading? As you look at technology, yeah. how is the field of pathology incorporating things like machine learning, AI? Is there a role for that type of technology in uh, pathology? Oh, I, I, I'm so excited that you asked that question because that is the future of pathology. Patholo digital pathology is the future. So right now, there's only a handful of um, institutions that are doing whole, sli whole slide imaging um, of the pathology slides. Um, and for those, you know, that don't know pathology, we diagnose the, the disease after a surgeon like you sends us tissue that you've surgically removed from a, from a patient that comes to the pathologist. We look at it under the slide and give you a diagnosis. Right now we use big microscopes with glass slides. The future is, is that those slides will be digital and we'll be looking at monitors. Mm -hmm. Not only that, but we, there are five, um, right now, really two major organ systems, prostate and breast, where uh, artificial intelligence is, is pattern recognizing tumors and helping the pathologist identify malignancy and then also doing quality control on those malignancy after the pathology has read the pathologist has read these slides. I know that's a bit in the detail, yeah, but, but there's absolutely room. AI, machine learning. I'm actually talking to some some of our own professors in engineering to talk through um, us applying AI and digital whole whole slide scanning here at Howard University. Yeah. Um, so hoping to hoping to get that underway. Oh, excellent. Um, as I close with all my guests, why Howard? Oh, Howard is, um, uh, uh, is a place that um, puts community first. Uh, Howard has a legacy of social justice. Um, Howard has a legacy of ensuring that uh, the least of us have the best opportunities and um, advocates um, for our community. And so, um, as we say, I bleed blue. Um, and um, this is truly the Mecca. I, I owe a lot to this university and will continue to serve it. Excellent. Thanks for being here. My guest today was Dr. Roger Mitchell, Chair of Pathology at Howard University College of Medicine. I'm Dr. Wayne Frederick. Please join me next time on The Journey.